Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Uh, Jumping back into where we left off last week, though, I want you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7, okay? And as you do that and you find it, Uh, because I want you to read with me tonight. Uh, Let's just open in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask that you'd come here, uh, uh, our hearts, Father. uh, Holy Spirit, move among us, Lord. Uh, We ask that you'd give us some insight to your scripture tonight, Lord, that would encourage us, Father, that we could use use this nugget of truth that you're giving us tonight to encourage others, Lord, uh, that we would just be better able to wield the sword that is the word of God. So, Lord, we just ask you, Lord, to be with us. We dedicate this time to you this evening, so have your way with it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So, leaving off where we were last week, the scene, let's set the scene, right? Let's set the stage. The scene is the throne room of God. We've got the elders in the throne room, the four beasts, angels in the throne room, John in the throne room. Uh, there's the God, the Father is in the throne room, obviously, right? He's holding a scroll in his hand. It's sealed sealed with seven seals. And all of, all of the angels and elders and everybody, they're saying, who is worthy to take the scroll? Who can break the seals? Uh, there's, uh, uh, it's interesting because the kind of seals for that period that are on this scroll, there, were on, there was writing on the outside and on the inside, which would suggest that it was a will, like a legal document or a title, title deed of some kind. Uh, some scholars uh, like to conjecture that perhaps this is uh, emblematic of the deed to the world. So we're, they're saying, who's worthy to open it? And guess who was worthy to open it? Only Jesus Christ. So Jesus is there with us in the throne room as the seals are broken a period of time known as the tribulation is begun okay pretty incredible uh, it's actually defined it's defined this period of time is defined for us by Jesus somewhere else uh, in Matthew chapter 24 Jesus quotes Daniel chapter 12 uh, to define this period of time. Can we look at that scripture? We're going to look at this scripture right off the bat. Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, and I'll read. For then there will be great tribulation, great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor even, nor ever shall be. Verse 22 then reads, And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. What days are we talking about? Is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the uh, seven-year period, tribulation period. Let me explain it for you guys, okay? Essentially, the prophecy that came to us from Daniel of Daniel 70 weeks, okay? We come to a point where the Messiah is cut off in the 69th week. That happened when Jesus came, was crucified on the cross, fulfilling that prophecy perfectly. And that leaves us in a period waiting for that 70th week. Well, a week, how many weeks or how many days are in a week, guys? How many days are in a week? Can uh, uh, I get an answer? I'm going to wait for you to answer on the thread. Seven, right? Well, in the Hebrew culture, in the Hebrew culture, uh, a, a, a day was a year, so a seven-year period. So we're talking about seventy-sevens. We're talking about seven times sixty-nine, which leaves us the one last seventy, which is a seven-year period. So we're we are still waiting for this seven-year period to begin, and we have been waiting for it to begin ever since Jesus was cut off in the sixty-ninth week. Well, when that comes and when that happens, that's this. Time. That's this time period that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 24, uh, 21 through 22. And he says, Unless those days were shortened in 22, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be 
shortened. Okay, so you've got to get this in our mind, all right? We talk about the seven-year period. It begins when the first seal is broken, okay? It begins when the first seal is broken three and a half years into the seven years is a halfway point. At the halfway point, then the Antichrist sets up his throne in the, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, and then begins the Great Tribulation. So there's the Tribulation, there's the Day of the Lord. You know, the Day of the Lord is a phrase that's used a lot throughout Scripture, uh, and it can be confusing if you don't understand the context of what it's really talking about, okay? Uh, but the day of the Lord generally is referencing this seven-year period when when calamity comes and God uh, brings about his end-time scenario. So the three and a half years will go forward from that point. At that point, from that three and a half years forward, God is pouring out his wrath upon the world. Now, a lot of people, as things get crazier and crazier in this world, they're they're afraid. And I've gotten a lot of messages and phone calls and texts and everything from people, and they're asking me, are we in the end times? Are we in, is this what we're about to see? And they're scared because they've read parts of Revelation, but they don't understand it in context. Let me just put your mind at ease, okay? The kind of things that will be poured out on the earth in Revelation, uh, those things, we, we might be seeing the beginning of sorrows right now, as we've talked about in recent past weeks. But when God, when the things that are in Revelation, let me say this, they're God pouring out his wrath on the earth, okay? So God doesn't pour his wrath out on the earth until his bride has been removed. Can I see this next graphic, this picture? I think this, everything I've been talking about, this, uh, um, do we, are we not linked? The, uh, it's like the second picture down. Um, it's one of the quick ones. It's one of the first ones. It would be maybe. No, not sequence of events. It'd be up towards the top, love. Technical difficulties, guys. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so here's the exciting uh, news for you guys. Yeah, uh, Yes, this is the one. That's it. That was the one. Thank you. I tell you what, they get fun in broadcasting here. Uh, Windows apparently updated just before we went live, and it threw Evangeline's computer out of whack. So anyway, we're back. In, we're back. That was the picture. Can I see that picture again? This sums it up pretty well, right? So Christ's first coming, he's crucified on the cross, working left to right on the screen. Christ's resurrection and Pentecost comes, it begins the church age. We're just waiting on the rapture of the church now. When that happens, we go before the Bema seat of, uh, of God, the judgment seat of Christ to receive whatever blessings or, or, or rewards uh, that we are promised for uh, being good ambassadors of the kingdom. Uh, and this graphic, I like the graphic because it's simple, but that says Mideast Peace Treaty is signed, beginning the seven-year tribulation, basically the first seal being broken. We don't know necessarily that it's a Mideast Peace Treaty. That's just conjecture. Uh, as we talked about last week, it could just be confirming the original covenant that God gave Abraham, which was all of the land from the from the uh, Euphrates all the way to Egypt. So, but there will at some point there will be that confirming of a covenant beginning the seven years. And can I see that picture one more time? And I'm going to finish through uh, halfway through. Then the second coming, the rapture of the church, and the second coming of Christ. You've got to understand are different things when you're studying uh, prophecy because you might read a prophecy about the second coming of Christ, and if you get that confused with the rapture of the church, it'll be you know that's how people get oftentimes get mixed up and think that horrible things are going to come upon the earth with them here. So. Things like this, graphs like I love graphs like this because they make everything simple. After Christ come back, comes back, there's a thousand-year millennial reign, then a white throne uh, judgment of the unsaved and dead and Satan, and a new heaven and a new earth begins. Uh, and take a screenshot, snapshot of that picture if you want to. I think I find it uh, enlightening. Anyway, so all of that being said, this is what happened is happening. Okay, during. Revelation chapter 6, which we started two weeks ago and finished last week, all the way through Revelation chapter 19. That is this seven-year period is happening through all of these, all of these chapters. This tribunal, church, come on now, this, 
This tribulation that is coming upon the earth, it makes the Holocaust pale in comparison, okay? So if you're worried that, that we're beginning to live through this kind of tribulation, not even close. Look, the Holocaust took one out of three Jews, okay? The next one, According to Zephaniah chapter 13, uh, verse 8 and 9, the next one will take two out of three, okay? So the wrath of God being poured out on the earth, my goodness. We have to remember and keep in context as we study through chapters 6 through 19 or Matthew 24 and all of the correlating uh, scriptures, we have to keep in mind what is the purpose of this after all, okay? What is the purpose of this tribulation? Well, it's explained to us uh, by Hosea in Hosea chapter 5 verse 15. Can we read that? I will return again to my place. This is God the Father speaking. Uh, till they acknowledge their offense. He's speaking of the Jews. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. That's what this is all about, guys. That's what this is all about. This is about the time of Jacob's trouble. This is not the time of the Gentile uh, uh, bride, the church age bride. This is the time of Israel's trouble. And Jesus is not going to come back until they ask him to, when the wrath is poured out on the world and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and they will ask him to return and save them. And of course he will. So, but they're not, it's, he's not coming. And that's, what is the point of all of this? Well, this is to, to uh, put Israel through the refiner's fire. And so the gold can come out on the other side. But we can't forget the order uh, the order of sequence here, okay? Uh, the tribulation does not begin, okay? Hear me now, you, if you're looking around at the world and you're getting a little paranoid, hear me now. The tribulation does not begin until the first seal is broken and the elders, where are the elders? When the first seal is broken? Well, we already covered. They're in the throne room, right? So, can I see this next graphic? Let's take a look at it. What's the sequence of events? The tribulation doesn't begin until the lamb opens the seal. The lamb doesn't receive the scroll until after the elders place their crowns on the glassy sea. And the 24 elders and the seven lampstands from, Genesis, uh, from Revelation chapter 1, which Jesus says the lampstands represent the churches, those churches are now in the throne room. They're all in heaven when the tribulation begins. Yes. Amen. And amen. This is the time of Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble. We have to keep that in mind. It is identified, though, by a group of signs in multiple texts that all line up. Can I see this next graphic? And then we're going to uh, look to move forward. Can I see this next one? We looked at this last week, right? This is not just spoken of in Revelation 6 through 19. Matthew, Jesus talks about it in Matthew and Luke. All of these signs start happening. False Christs, wars, famines, death, martyrs, global chaos. These are the signatures of that seven-year tribulation period, okay? So with that, let's pick up where we left off uh, last week. As we studied, began the study in, in chapter 6, we ta uh, began um, explaining something really cool that we find in the text, which is the essentially the fingerprints of God. The fingerprints of God are all over this word. And I know if you're an avid student of the word of God, you know that. You know that. You, you know, he, is, he is the same God in Genesis as he is in uh, Matthew and Mark and Acts. And he reveals himself in the Old Testament with just as much grace as he reveals himself with in the New Testament. It's beautiful, but there's a structure. Oftentimes we find structures in the text that I'm just telling you, they could, there's no way they could have been planned by the author the way that it's written. It's supernatural. One of those is, is the heptatic structure that we find in Revelation as we move through these seals trumpets, and bowls of wrath, as we'll cover in the next, uh, next week as well. Can I see that graphic? What we see happen is those first four seals are broken. They're the four horsemen of the, the apocalypse, as we know. 
Uh, and then there's five and six. And what happens uh, just before the seventh seal is broken? Well, in the actual text, God takes a break. The Holy Spirit takes a break, break and he talks about something else. And that's chapter seven. And that's what we're going to be studying tonight. And then the f- seventh seal seal is broken, and that leads to the blowing of the trumpets. But right before the seventh trumpet blows, there's again a pause, which is uh, chapters 10 through 14. But then when the uh, seventh trumpet does blow in 15, then he talks about these bowls of wrath, which before the seventh bowl, there is a break again in chapter 16. So we see this pattern repeating itself throughout the text, and it's really cool, so I don't want that to be lost on you guys. Uh, Can I see that next graphic, the up-close one of the first one? This is what we're going to be talking about tonight, though. So we have already covered the white, red, black, green horse riders, talked about the martyrs, the cosmic changes to expect and everything. We have opened all six seals so far uh, in our study, completing that last week. And here we come to the break of the parentheses here. And this is chapter seven, where, where the Holy Spirit takes a pause with the seals and wants to talk about uh, a central casting. Essentially, he's introducing some new uh, cast to the end time scene and scenario. All right. So this breather which is chapter seven, essentially, is where we are today. And right out of the gate, we're going to see two groups of people. Okay, we're going to see two groups of people. Can I see that next graphic? That we're going to see sealed people and saved people. All right. Chapter 7, verse 1 through 8 is going to talk about these 144,000 people that are sealed on their foreheads to serve God. 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. And then uh, verses 9 through 17 are going to, it's going to talk about people who are saved out of the tribulation. So we've got some good stuff to go through tonight. Let's begin then, though, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 1, and let's read. After these things, after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Interesting here, guys. Interesting. Uh, These are the same four angels that we're going to see later in chapter 8 as we study next week. So if you're taking notes, maybe put a little star there. We're going to see these four guys show up again, okay? Verse 2. Let's keep reading. Chapter 7, verse 2. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. So they've been released now to harm. The, you know, he's referring to the trumpets that are to come. Okay, the, When those trumpets sound, harm is going to come. Uh, saying, do not harm, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And verse 4 reads, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, and it was, what? 144,000 of all the tribes, of all the tribes of the children of Israel, they were all sealed. You know, I find this interesting. I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys, but I've had some people knock on my door before and claim to be uh, part of that 144,000 uh, group. Has that ever happened to anybody else? Uh, Je- the Jehovah's Witness um, uh, cult, essentially, they they claim to be this 144,000 people. So I just, <laughs> they're not, for the record, Okay. I've got some advice for you. The next time one of these people knock on your door and claim to be one of them, ask them what tribe of Israel they're from, okay? Many of them aren't even Jews, okay? That's but the 144,000 are, they're Jews, okay? They're from each tribe of Israel, 12 tribes of Israel. Not to mention the fact that the last time I checked, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they report that uh, they have a current membership of, at least 250,000 people. So I don't know how you get 144,000. There's going to be a lot of disappointed 
Jehovah's Witnesses, I guess. Anyway, let's keep reading. Simply, uh, verse 5. These are the tribes that were sealed. Uh, 144,000. Verse 5. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. You're getting it, the point, right? The Holy Spirit is being very specific here, okay? Don't let that be lost on you. Why does the Holy Spirit give us such detail? Well, he always does because he's being literal. He wants you to know when he's being literal. This is not symbolic. There's of the tribe of uh, Manasseh. 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Are you reading with me? Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Joseph and the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Okay? God is so good. He went into all of this detail. Why would he be so specific? Well, it's interesting. The interesting thing about this is, you know, there's about 20 different places throughout the scriptures that the 12 tribes are mentioned and mentioned by name as far as what their names are. Um, But this one is a little bit different. There are a couple changes to the 12 tribes of Israel here, actually. There's no tribe of Dan mentioned. Remember, we're talking in the context, these 144,000 come, and they're coming during the end time tribulation in that seven-year window and period. Dan is not mentioned. Well, where's Dan? Where, why is Manasseh is actually there instead of Dan? Well, if you remember the story of Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, you know, they were Joseph's grandchildren. And so... Uh, yeah, Joseph ended up adopting them, but why are we getting somebody from the line of Joseph? Why are we getting somebody from the line of Joseph uh, put in here instead of Dan? Well, can I see this next graphic? Let's just take a look at it, shall we? Here's what I'm talking about. No, there's a should be a different. Can you just go to the uh, go to the sermon tile screen for a second? Can you do that? I'm going to look at something because I got a lot of stuff in here that we're going to have to make sure we get to. All right, hold on tight, guys. And we're back. All right. Thank you, guys. So um, we'll just edit that out later and nobody will ever know what happened, right? Right? Can we do that? I don't think we can do that. That's how that works. Um, so let's go to that graphic that we're talking about, that one that we just had up. So we've got 12,000 from all of these different tribes. But where's Dan? Manasseh's in there instead of Dan. Where's Ephraim for that matter? And why did Manasseh get picked to be in there instead of, uh, instead of Ephraim, right? Ephraim was the one that received the uh, uh, blessing of the, the younger, if you remember the story. Well, here's the deal, guys. When the land was given out 
You can come back to me now. When the land was given out to the tribes of Israel, Dan was given the area around the central, uh, south, central, western part of the land, of the country, okay? Dan is the tribe that was given the symbol of the snake. Can we see that now? This was his symbol. Every tribe had their own symbol, and this was Dan's. Well, Dan didn't like that, okay? I, you know, I can, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think that I would like it very much myself either, right? I don't want to be the symbol of the snake. We know where the snake came from the garden, right? Well, and it means deception and everything else. So Dan changed his own uh, uh, tribe's symbol, changed it from a snake to an eagle holding a snake. Uh, and then eventually... It just turned into an eagle, and they dropped the snake eventually as well. But here we see, can I see this next picture? Here we see, actually, a statue, an ancient statue of the tribe of Dan with the eagle holding the snake in its claws, okay? This is really interesting because this is actually a statue uh, that is in Denmark, in Denmark, and you know, there's something to that quite, quite possibly. Why in the world would the statue of Dan be in Denmark? Well, we'll get to that in a minute, okay? In Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 22, Moses is giving his final blessing, okay? He's giving his final blessings to each tribe. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 22. Can we see that scripture? And of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's whelp, and he shall leap from Bashan. What does that mean, right? Well, it's what, what's interesting about that is he is a lion's whelp. Well, a whelp is a cub, and a cub is eager to jump, and he shall leap from Bashan. Backstory to this is Samson, the hero of the tribe of Dan. We all know the story of Samson and Delilah, don't we? Well, Samson was the hero of the tribe of Dan. His story is well noted, okay? Unfortunately, yeah, he's got some serious hair, doesn't he, Eva? Unfortunately, unfortunately, when he dies, they can't hold the land. They can't hold the land. Remember, they battled the Philistines all the time. Well, he can't, they can't hold the land without their hero. So they leapt from Bashan. They leave. They head to the land known today as the Golan Heights. So they leave. They leap from Bashan. They were disparaged, as a matter of fact, by Deborah, the famous judge of Judges chapter 5, when, when they didn't show up for a battle that she was calling them to, uh, calling everybody in. Asher came. All these tribes were coming to, to defend, to come together for the defense of the nation. They were sorely needed, and they didn't show up. And to that, uh, Deborah said this in Judges chapter 5, verse 17, if we can see that. She said, and Dan, why did he linger by the ships? So he has left. He has left his, the land that he was originally given, the land he was originally given, he has departed from it and gone north to the Golan Heights. And now here in Judges 5, Deborah is portraying him as a seaman, as a, uh, 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 basically, though he's obviously got ships. Why, is, why did he linger by the ships? Okay. So they sought their future. Here's the point, the crux of it. They sought their future apart from Israel early on. Interesting note here, and this is really cool if you love world history, you, and you've seen these, these movies, uh, Spartacus and the Spartans, right? And, and Troy and Helen of Troy and all of these great mythological stories, right? Well, a lot of them have got actual history tied to them. Sparta and Troy were actually of Jewish descent, did you know that? They were of, we know they're of Jewish descent according to letters found written from Judas Maccabeus to their respective kings during the Maccabean revolt of 167 to 160 BC. So, the, and the Maccabean revolt, famously, famous church history, right? They were writing letters to Sparta and Troy appealing for aid or help because Sparta and Troy had Jewish descent. Well, how did they get Jewish descent all the way out in Sparta and in Troy? Well, it's believed by some that the tribe of Dan populated a lot of Europe. 
because they left. They sought their own fortune. They left early uh, Israel early on, and they they left and uh, sought their own fortune and future. They leapt from Bashan, as the scripture says. So it's it's believed that perhaps the reason that that statue in Denmark is the tribe of Dan is because the tribe of Dan could be all over Europe. You know, Dan was even left out of the genealogy that was found in First Chronicles. So Manasseh replaces Dan, okay? But why not Ephraim? Like we said, Ephraim was the one that had the blessing upon him, right? Well, Ephraim allowed idolatry to enter the land, his his region, that land he was allotted to rule, he allowed idolatry to come in. A little backstory is Jeroboam and Rehoboam, the sons of Solomon. We remember them, right? Well, when Solomon passed away, they fought with each other. Rather than simply the elder taking the kingdom, Jeroboam split and took the northern kingdom. Rehoboam took the southern kingdom. And Jeroboam did not want anybody from his kingdom having to go south uh, to worship God for any reason, not even to worship God did he want them having to go south to the temple. So he brought in idolatry into his northern kingdom, okay? Uh, on the northern border and on the southern border, he brought in, it's a political move, basically, to get people from the northern kingdom to quit going south. They say, hey, we're going to worship these pagan gods, and now you won't have to go south anymore to worship uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, interesting thing happened is if you lived in that northern kingdom, what would you do if you were in that position? You'd move to the south, right? Right. And then if you were uh, uh, in the south, if you would rather worship the pagan idols, then you would move north. And that's what happened. So a lot of the people who they were originally in their uh, land that was assigned to them by God, by tribe. The tribes got really mixed up at that point. And this kind of, that just kind of speaks to this idea that some people will teach that there are 10 lost tribes of Israel because we only have those two left, the Israel and Judah, northern and southern kingdoms. That's not accurate at all. They basically just all intermingled at that point. Okay. But I digress. Jeroboam, he sets up two golden calves. He sets up one on the northern border and one on the southern border. And guess where he puts these golden calves? I'm like, a golden calf? Are you kidding me? After the trouble that that brought, a, brought you guys the last time, right? He puts one at Dan and he puts one at Bethel, which is where? In Ephraim. So all for politics, guys. All for politics. Now, interestingly enough, though, Dan, because God is so good and he is of his word, Dan... Uh, even though it was the first, even though it was the first tribe to allow idolatry to enter the land, uh, he still inherits land in the millennium. Okay, according to Ezekiel forty-eight, but we'll get there. Let me look at this next graphic. Why is Dan gone? Let's just run down it real quick. Uh, this was the tribe through which idolatry entered the land, guys. It was a, a leader in apostasy under Jeroboam. Uh, even it's mentioned again in such a way, a hundred years later, the voice of calamity uh, in uh, Jeremiah, cursed in Jeremiah 8. Why is he not on that list? Because Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy makes it pretty clear in chapter 29 that idolaters will be blotted out. Let's just read it real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 18 through 21 reads, So, there may, not, there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. Let, let me hold that there real quick. So that there may not be among you man or woman or family or what's that word? Tribe. Even a tribe whose heart turns away, okay? <laughs> from God. Uh turns away from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, and that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood, verse 19. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, even though I follow the dictates of my heart, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. And finally, verse uh, 20. 
the Lord would not spare him, for the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that man, and every curse that is written in this book would settle on him, and the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. Verse 21, and the Lord would separate him from all the tribes of Israel. Who is who has received this punishment, guys? Who has received this punishment for adversity according to all the curse of the covenant that are written in this book of law? So Dan's got a problem. That's the point of all this, guys. Dan has got a problem. However, he still inherits, like I said, in Ezekiel 48. But it comes down to this. That list of the 144,000 are those who are signed, sealed, delivered, and they are protected. Not one of those 144,000 will be lost in the tribulation. They're on a mission for God in that time. So that's how we arrive at these 12, guys. 144,000 are chosen of Israel to go through the tribulation. Now, a lot here, isn't there? There's a lot here. Let's pick up Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Let's pick that back up and keep going. All right. Let's keep going. After these things, I looked. And this begins the second half of this chapter, guys. Like I said, it broke down into two pieces. This begins the second part of this. After these things, I looked. And behold, a great multitude which no one could number. Wow, that's a lot. A great multitude which nobody could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before uh, the Lamb clothed with white robes. What are white robes symbolic of, guys? Come on, you know this Life Story Church, the righteousness of Christ. They're robed in it, clothed in white robes, the righteousness of Christ, with palm branches in their hands and crying out. Keep in mind, they're crying out here. They're not singing like the elders did in previous chapters, okay? They're crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Verse 11, all the angels, get this cinematography shot in your mind, okay? All the angels stood around the throne and the elders, and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And somebody on the live stream tonight said, Amen. Amen. How many things, it's interesting to point out here, how many things did, uh, did they say? Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, might, seven, right? Well, that, it, that number just it keeps, it comes back up and it comes back up and we just, it's another fingerprint, guys, and another fingerprint of God. Seven different things, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, might. There it is. Let's keep reading verse 13. Then one of the elders, then one of the elders answered me, answered, saying to me, excuse me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? Verse 14, John, the revelator says, and I said to him, sir, you know, in other words, I don't know, you're, you're asking me a rhetorical question, I guess, because you, you're here, you know, I don't know, sir, you know, so he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are redeemed people, church. These are redeemed, but they're not like the elders, okay? This is a new group of people. They're not like the elders. They are redeemed through the tribulation, and they're redeemed by the ministry of the 144,000. So we've got these different groups here. Everybody that's in the throne room, right? From Jesus and John to, to angels to elders to beasts, every, they're in the throne room. Now we've got this 144,000 people that's been introduced. Now they're Jewish, okay? They're of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they've got a mission on earth during this seven year, uh, during this period of time, this tribulation period. And 
then there's this new group. It's a new group now that they've come and they've cried out and they're crying out and their robes have been washed in the blood of the lamb. Let's keep reading. Therefore, verse 15, therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. This is again interesting, and it's a, it's a defining characteristic of who these people could be, okay? Because the 24 elders, it's made clear that they rule and reign. The, the, the elders, 24 elders, they're both, they're redeemed as well, but they're kings and priests. And so they will also rule and reign in the millennia, millennium period. This group of people will be before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And that's a great job and all, but, you know, the elders, you know, kings and priests, I think that's, we've seen from the text, that's clearly the church, the church. So I want to be, I want to be doing that, right? So anyway, let's keep reading. And he who sits on, he, he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Verse 16, they shall neither hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. Verse 17, for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So here we have this new group. I believe that those are the tribulation saints. I believe that there are people after a rapture event happens through this tribulation. I don't know who they are. Maybe they are, there are people who are, are rejecting Christ right now uh, because they think it means sacrificing something in their life that they would rather have right now. They know that perhaps behaviors or lifestyles or sins that they have, pursuits that they have, they know they would have to put them down uh, the Holy Spirit has probably already brought them, them conviction. Uh, they maybe have even felt God's kindness calling out to them, but they still reject Messiah. They still reject Jesus's love and grace right now. I think a rapture event is going to happen, and perhaps there will be a lot of people that will suddenly realize that their grandma was right, right? Or that you were right. Um, their friends, their brothers, their sisters. Uh, and I think that there will be a lot of people who come to Christ. And remember, we're going to have two witnesses in this time, and we'll get there. We're not there yet. But there will be two witnesses uh, during this period of time that proclaim the gospel of Christ. And uh, and then we've also got these 144,000 that many can come to. They can come to a place of salvation through this uh, um, uh, ministry of the 144,000. So... Revelation chapter 14, verse 1 through 5, sees these 144,000 uh, referenced again. So can we go to that and just take a peek? We're going to look forward uh, because just because we're talking about them. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1 through 5, let's read. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. Verse 2, And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. Verse 3, They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures, and the elders, and no one could learn that song except for the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. That's, this, this brings in, and who could these guys be, right? Well, they're Jews, we know, they're from each tribe of Israel. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. 
So, I've got one more graphic for you guys, and then we'll wrap it up here tonight. Uh, I can't be even think about beginning on uh, chapter 8. Uh, we might take chapter 8 and 9 together next week. I don't know. We'll see what the Lord has in, in store for us anyway. Um, hope you're uh, blessed by tonight's uh, digging into the Word anyway. Uh, can I see this next graphic and figure out who these people are in a sense these are the characters. We've got the 144,000. We've got the elders in the throne room. We've got these tribulation saints. When we read these texts, figuring out who's who is very important because if you're reading Revelation here and there's people on the earth that are suffering and they're being only redeemed because the blood, their robes have been saturated with blood and the blood, the blood of the saints is crying out from the base of the altar as we read last week. If you're thinking that's you, that might be concerning, right? Well, as we've studied through chapter 4 and 5 especially, we believe that the church is the elders. The elders are crowned. They play harps, not palms. They are kept out of the tribulation, okay? They sit on thrones and they reign as kings and priests. These tribulation saints, this other group that is now here present, and they will be here. We'll see more of them as we study forward, so it's important to understand who they are. They are not crowned. They have palms in their hands, okay? They are saved uh, out of tribulation, not kept out, but saved out. It's the suffering that they do for Christ during the tribulation that saves them. Uh, and we'll see um, their mode of death as well later on. Uh, these stand before the thrones versus sitting on the thrones. These serve him day and night versus reigning as kings and priests. And another thing is when these, this group of people came up, they remember the elder, what did he do? He asked John, now who are these people? And <laughs> what was John's response? I don't know. You, you know. You tell me. So he went on to tell them. He said, these are the ones who their, their robes have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. In other words, by suffering through this tribulation period is how they have accomplish their salvation. So <laughs> that being said, I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, it's of some comfort, isn't it, to know that people that we know and uh, love that are not believers to think that, you know, they will still have a chance. If they, are, if they don't believe before a rapture event happens, it's nice to think, well, they'll still have a chance. because So, so let that encourage you that you know, even if somebody is never listening to you and you tell them about Jesus and they just don't want to listen, they don't want to listen, you're giving them the gospel, you're giving them truth, and they just absolutely refuse to receive it, don't stop. Because, you know, just continue to throw seed out, throw seed out, throw seed out, plant those seeds, because eventually there is going to be a rapture event, okay? And if they're not raptured and you're gone and you're raptured, now, there's, I doubt the world will be saying, oh, Jesus came and got his church, right? But if somebody knows that this is what the belief that we hold dear, then they may realize, oh, I think this is what Chuck was talking about, or, you know, uh, Eric was talking about, or whoever was talking about, right? Or what Eva, this is, must be what Eva, Eva was talking about, right? So... They would then possibly they would then have a chance to uh, be purged through revelation and be saved through the shedding of, of blood for Christ's namesake in that tribulation period. So that does bring me some comfort, right? Because I think we all have friends and family that just don't believe, and you've maybe even been telling them about Jesus for years, and you just feel like it's hopeless, right? Don't give up. Keep telling them. Keep telling them about the Lord and His goodness and. Uh, but I'll say this, if that's you, and I'm speaking to somebody who's been putting off a surrender to Jesus, if you've been putting off trusting him and putting your faith in him for your, for your life and your salvation, you can't count on that. Okay, well, you know, I don't know about all this, but I guess if you get raptured, you know, then I'll know it was real and, you know, I'll, I'll believe then. You can't count on that because Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 tells us very clearly that a great delusion, a great delusion will come on the earth in that time as well, okay? So you can't count that you'll even, uh, on the fact that you'll even have a clear mind and understanding of what is really happening. 
I'm sure the world and the Antichrist and, uh, and the uh, global elite, the beast system, they'll all have ex- plenty of excuses that are, inc- that are just incredible for, for where so many people in the world just vanish to probably re-education camps, right? And so at this rate, anyway, we'll end here, guys. Let me just say this to that point, summing that up. If you need, if you're watching this and you need to give your heart to Jesus Christ today, don't wait, don't wait. Don't think that you've got a backup plan and, and if you've missed the rapture, well, then I'll know it's real. Just give your heart to Jesus today, guys. If you haven't surrendered everything, if you haven't surrendered every part of your life and your heart to him and just put your trust in him, that he can save you, not you. You're not good enough. You're not a good enough guy, nice enough gal. There's a lot of sweet people, right? (laughs) What do they say about the road to hell? It's paved with good intentions, right? Jesus, no one will be saved but by the name of Jesus Christ. It's the only way by which man can be saved, guys. If you haven't done it, it's time to put your heart and trust in him. And I'm telling you, you'll have such a peace. The love that you'll experience, your heart will open wide up in a way that it never has before. So if that's you here tonight, just say this prayer with me, will you? Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I'm putting my trust in you, my hope in you, my faith in you, Lord, that the cross was enough. I'm saying I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the grave on the third day. And I believe that because you live, I can live. So come into my heart now and make me new and teach me your word. Teach me your principles and guide me. Holy Spirit, seal my heart, guaranteeing my inheritance in the age to come. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for sticking with us, guys, through some technical difficulties, and that's always fun uh, to deal with. But I think we uh, we got through the text, and at the end of the day, that's all that matters. And I hope your hearts were touched, and uh, maybe you gained some uh, some insight into the Word. So with that, we love you guys. Have a great night. May the Lord bless you. May He keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you. May He go before you, behind you, beside you, and in all you do, May you prosper in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. We'll see you Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Rutledge West in Pegram, Tennessee. We love you guys. Thanks.